<laughs> I'm, I'm Matt, for those of you who don't know, I'm the pastor to Next Generation here at See Me Covenant Church, and um, I do have a wife and two kids who um, are off at grandma's house right now and having a great time celebrating with their cousins with Christmas, so, um, but, but one of the things I've learned about having a family is that kids try to keep us on our toes, and if you've been around places where their kids are, you know this. They, they run around, they, they do things that you never really, you're always like, yeah, those parents really need to get on it. And as parents, you realize, wow, my kids really just know how to run me ragged a little bit. And I don't always have the perfect answer. Or I, I don't always really know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And so we try our best. And, um, and it's challenging to be parents because because as a parent, you don't really actually know the right answer. The world tells you all kinds of different things. So when I was growing up, when I was, when I was an infant, the rule was you put babies on their stomachs in the crib because it prevented SIDS. Like if they spit up, it just went down, whatever else. When my sister was born five years later, it was you put them on their sides because... I don't know why. And so you might have to prop them up, but you put them on their sides. And now we say, oh, you're supposed to put the baby on their back, you know, because that's not really that big a deal. If they'll turn their head to the sides if they spit up, but this way they won't like, you know, bury their face in the mattress. And you start, start to realize, well, these things have changed and, and shifted a little bit over time. Like, is there a real right answer or is it just kind of like, eh? whatever, like this is what the doctors say right now. I, and I believe, I mean, my kids sleep great, um, so I, I'm a firm believer in putting them on their back and then they wake up on their belly and I'm not really sure what happens overnight. So, you know, but in, in life, we have all of these things um, that we're confronted with that do not make sense all the time, right? We, we have these these challenges, you know, do we, do we put on white noise for our kids? Do we not? Do we, do we let them sleep in the car? You know, do they sleep in their own room? Do they sleep in parents' rooms? Like the, these parenting questions, those are only a small part of it. In our lives, we have other hard questions. Like for me, um, I am an, a, a very obsessive vacuumer. So I, I will try not to vacuum our house, but when I come to vacuum the house, it's perfectly shaped lines shaping, you know, the carpet the entire way. And don't you dare walk over my lines because then I know it's not clean right where you stepped because I can see it. Uh, we, we each have our own things, whether it's, uh, you, you know, you hand wash dishes or they always go in the dishwasher or use a dish rag or, or a sponge. Maybe it's that you have a real Christmas tree and you love your real Christmas tree because it smells and it drops needles everywhere. Or you love your fake Christmas tree because it's so easy to just pull out of the box and go click, set up, click, set up, click, set up, done, plug it into the wall and you're done. Whatever that is that builds the Christmas spirit the most in you because... You know, you want to have that lit Christmas tree as soon as you can after Thanksgiving. And who has time for a Christmas tree lot? I don't know. I, I, I went fake this year because we got a little baby running around trying to walk. And she puts everything in her mouth. And I'm like, oh, those, those needles, I just, like, I know you can eat them. But I don't know if I really want my nine-month-old eating them. So, but our life, cho- our life choices, our moralities, 
those things that kind of drive us, what, what say things are right or wrong, all kind of come from different perspectives and different places and different ways we've been taught. And yet we all kind of have our way and we think that most people share that. Um, and, and when you look at the internet, for example, there's all of these places that are filled with people who have this sense of righteous indignation, this anger that their way is right and how could you dare not share my way? And there's this um, philosophical idea called postmodernism that's based on this entire premise that there's actually no right way. Um, but there's also some interesting interaction with that. And there's this uh, well-known um, evangelical scholar and pastor named Ravi Zacharias. And um, he said about that, that we are living in a time when sensitivities are at the sur surface often vented with cutting words. Philosophically, you can believe anything so as, so as you do not claim it as a better way. Religiously, you can hold to anything so long as you do not bring Jesus Christ into it. And that is the state of our world. That's the state of where we find ourselves as Christians in this world where the right way is actually not clear. The, the clear path is the one that offends the least number of people. And in fact, if you were to say the name of Jesus, instead of it bringing joy, it brings hatred. Because I don't want to hear about your way because I have my thing. And so as we get into our scripture today, I'm going to invite you to pray as we, as we engage. But I'd also like you to, to extend your hands with your palms up. And this is just an outward sign of saying, Lord, I'm open to what, you to what you have for me today. As a sign of your desire to hear. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we navigate um, the, this conversation, the, the, this these challenging passages that you have in front of us today. Lord, will you reign supreme? Will you make my words not be the words that are heard, but your words be the words that are heard? God, if I say something that's completely wrong, I ask that you would, you would not allow anyone to hear that, that they would hear what it is that you would have for them today. Because God, we are here simply because you came as an infant, to live life as we have. To face the challenges that we have. And we seek to follow you. In your name, amen. So today we're going to... Um, we're going to start in, in a passage of Isaiah. We've been talking about these Isaiah passages through Advent. And our passage today is actually in Isaiah chapter 7, um, starting in verse 10. So if you'd like to turn... Turn there with me. You're welcome to. And as you're turning, um, I, the thing about this passage is it's kind of strange. Um, I didn't pick it. It's, in, it's part of the lectionary of the church, the, the passages that the church reads. And you'll see why, because there's this prophecy that we've heard over and over about com the coming of Jesus. But as we read this passage, I want you to try and actually pretend to be thinking about what might actually be going on in the world. Because it's, it's a little confusing, and we'll break it down as we go. But Isaiah chapter 7, 
starting in verse 10. Big seven, little 10. And it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, what you might be thinking is, wow, that's exactly what Jesus says. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Ahaz, man, he's an upright dude. You would be wrong. I said it's strange. Um, Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? So Isaiah's addressing him with this kind of cutting remark, but it seemed like he was a good guy, but I don't don't know. Uh, Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy, so before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, the land of the two thing, kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time Unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, that's the northern kingdom, Ephraim, Israel, broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. So here's, here's the deal. Ahaz, we might think, okay, kind of upright guy, but there's obviously this conflict in, between Israel and Judah that's going on, and the result of all that is the king of Assyria is coming. Well, Ahaz realizes the king of Assyria is coming. And what he does is instead of aligning with Israel, with Ephraim, the northern kingdom, he aligns with Assyria. And he accepts the gods of the Assyrians. And he sacrifices his own children to the gods of the Assyrians. And he becomes this, the epitome of one of the worst followers of God there is. I don't know why Siri's talking to me. Um... He, he becomes the worst of that. And you can find that story in 2 Chronicles. But there's this, there's this battle between north and south. And what Isaiah says is that Assyria is coming. And he says, well, the logical thing for me to do then is to align with Assyria. If I align with Assyria, Assyria won't attack us. If I do what Assyria says, Assyria will not devastate us. But the end result of choosing the right thing, the logical thing, the most strategic thing, is that he actually chooses the thing that is not God's thing. He chooses gods who are not God. And Israel is laid to waste regardless because he chooses not to follow God in the midst of this. Ahaz has a choice and he chooses what seems right. And Isaiah invites him with the prophecy of Emmanuel to choose God, and he doesn't. That is the crazy thing about this passage. Prophecy invites us to a response. Now, my daughter, Eliana, um, she's learning how to walk, right? And as, as kids learn how to walk, they fall a lot. Um, now, she's been trying to, she started crawling and she was standing three days later. So she's been trying to like pull herself up and stand. 
for, for a very long time, but, but the idea of walking hasn't quite come to her yet. She wants to walk, but she doesn't really know how. If you hold her hands, she will walk all over the place. But she doesn't really get the idea that when she's by herself, she can move her feet. So she'll stand up and she'll hold on to something and she'll reach out and she'll go, ah! She doesn't talk, right? So, ah! And we're like, stop whining, it's driving us crazy. But she goes, ah! We're saying, Eliana, just move your feet. Just move your feet. All it takes is that. All it takes is this. Just move your feet. We know you have the balance. We've seen you do it before. We've seen you take four steps. It's just on accident. So when it becomes time for it to be on purpose, I have a choice as a father when she's standing there, whining and reaching out. I have the choice to say, oh, it's okay. You'll get there someday. And I grab her hands and I help her along. I have the choice to say, oh, you're fussy. I need to pick you up and carry you. Or I have the choice to let her struggle. To let her choose the better way that's actually harder for her. That's actually harder for me. And I think that as we look at the Christmas story, we, as we enter into this, this last week before Christmas, we are invited by God not to choose the easy, right way that my heart says when she whines at me would be to sweep in and pick her up and hold her but to actually choose the way that is best for us, the way that is best for what God has for each of us in our lives. And there's this contrasting story of Joseph and how he responds to the same prophecy of the coming of Emmanuel. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you're not sure where Matthew is, it's about three quarters of the way through the very beginning of what we call the New Testament. If you flick through, there's a bunch of names you won't be able to pronounce. And then you get to Matthew, which is clearly my favorite book because it's named after me. <laughs> and so we're starting in chapter 1, verse 18. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Or in Joseph's eyes, she got knocked up. Okay. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph has some choices. His fiance gets knocked up. He knows it's not by him. He can choose three things. He can choose to disgrace her, maybe even kill her. Um, he can choose to dismiss her. The moral option, maybe it, the, the, uh, the righteous option is for him to dismiss her quietly. Um, or he can choose the illogical option, which is to accept her despite her failures, and despite the shame that it would bring on him. So he chooses kindness out of this idea to not make a spectacle. It's the logical, safe, and right choice. He, he chooses the righteous thing. He's going to choose like Ahaz chose. I'm going to choose the thing that makes the most logical sense. I'm not going to blow it up. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm just going to do the thing that's easiest. I'm just going to let her go. But 
There's an invitation to a different way. Verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Emmanuel prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Jesus, so Joseph initially responds in the most logical way, but then he's confronted with a different identity and a different story of what is happening, a different reality of what God has going on versus what the world would perceive is actually going on. And so when Joseph wakes up, verse 24, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as, as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. See, Joseph's choices were to disgrace Mary. The, maybe the, the first initial reaction of, of the whole thing is for him to disgrace her. I mean, you look at Sharia law and you look at this, the Jewish law of that time and you realize that the woman had no rights and, and to be disgraceful in this way meant death. And yet Joseph chooses a moral way, a righteous way, and he chooses to dismiss her. And God says, you know what? It's not even about the moral righteous way. It's not about doing the thing that actually is the most right and makes the most sense. I am going to ask you to go one step further. I'm going to invite you to raise the Christ child with her. See, God's way of calling an expectation is even higher than the moral high ground. God's way of the incarnation sets a new standard for what is right. What is right is not based on the whims of the world. It's not based on whether right now it's okay to lay your baby down on their back or on their stomach. It's, it's actually about something deeper and more incredible. It's a sacrifice of what you have the right to do in favor of God's way, of what he wants you to do. It's the righteousness of the incarnation. See, today, this sermon is actually about the invitation to live in a way that is not simply about doing what is right. Because Christianity is not about doing what is right. Jesus actually confronts those who do the most right. We think the Pharisees have a bad name, but the Pharisees are the most perfect rule followers there are. They do what is right. They help other people do what is right. But see, the incarnation says that God's way is not necessarily the right way. It's, it's the invitation to Emmanuel, God with us. 
It's about being aware of his presence. It's about responding to the things that he has called us to. And it's about being invited into a way of life that is not the right way, but it is actually the very best way that the creator of the universe has for you. And that doesn't change whether you're two or whether you're 200. God's way is an invitation to a better way. It doesn't matter if marijuana is legal or smoking is now too expensive, but we could vape inside or if it's okay to eat as much as you want or to gorge on Christmas cookies or like I was, I was just eating a whole bag of cinnamon bears last night as I'm writing this and thinking, wow, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. It's not about, it's not about whether you can get away with you know, driving 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and being a little bit angry and frustrated when somebody pulls out who's going too slow or who, when somebody pulls around you going too fast. It's not about watering the lawn only twice a week, except for when it's raining, so maybe only once this week, or following all of the rules exactly to the T. God's way is an invitation to follow him no matter what. So how do we respond? Uh, we respond by releasing our personal preferences. And that has got to be the hardest thing we ever do. So my life, as I'm vacuuming and being anal about things and being, being mean to the people who ruin my way, I have to die to myself. Because that way is not God's way. That's my personal preference. That's what I like. I have to die to those things. And I have to take up the things that will show me the way of Jesus. That is to take up things that are not always easy. Sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines because they take discipline and hard work to do them. Not because they're fun, but because they actually are transformative in our lives to be mindful of prayer to be mindful of seeking wise counsel in my life, to be mindful of studying the Bible, to be mindful of the way that God is dreaming for this church and this community and this neighborhood and this county and this state and this nation and this world. Not the ways that I am dreaming, but the ways that God could shape and transform, the ways that he could bring unity and health and freedom, and life. Because our rights are innate. That word that Thomas Jefferson used, that means they can't be taken away. They're God-given rights. They're rights that we get to have. But in fact, the calling of Christ is to give that up for the sake of what God is doing. To not take advantage of those rights, but to give them um, my wife's, my wife had a, a grandma, her name was Esther, and uh, Grandma Esther um, was probably the person in our extended family and everywhere else who loved God the most during her life. And um, Grandma Esther loved Kelly so much, and so our daughter's name is Eliana Esther, after, after Grandma Esther. And uh, Grandma Esther it was this incredible woman who loved God, who studied the Bible, who prayed diligently. But as she got older and older, the, 
the thing that I, I found that broke my heart was that as she got older and older, she got more and more ready to just be done with living and ready to be with Jesus and forgot about the impact that she was still having on people's lives or that she could have. And so when I first met Grandma Esther, she was asking all the time, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? What things can I do? And as she got older and older, it was more like, I'm just ready for God to take me now. And, and my heart was broken, not because I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mourn with her and, and hope that she could see the glory, but that, in fact, she would see that her impact was not limited to her life being over because she was reaching 90. But it, in fact, it was, it, was still, it was still being put in front of her, the, the things that God could use her for to transform us, to, to speak into us, to empower us, to empower her family, to empower her friends who were still there to follow and to love Christ. And, and I opened, her, her funeral was the first funeral I did. And I opened, I, I, the day before I got her Bible, um, we found her Bible and somebody gave it to me and, and I, I was opening, I opened it up and I was reading through it and noticing over and over the ways that she had underlined and experienced this mentality that God was real and that knowing about him was enough and leaving blank the, the, the next line that said, do something about it. And and where I was excited for, for knowing what she believed, I, I was struggling with the hope that she could have used that in the lives of all the people she was around. See, the, the story of participating with God's way is actually a promise. It, it's a promise from the prophet Isaiah, not for the strong, but for the weak. The promise of Emmanuel is the promise of God committing to be with you in the hard situations, committing to live life with you, to be God present. It's for everyone who doesn't know how to speak or to be involved. It's for every person in the room that you see who is not simply have potential future or could be a potential future powerhouse. It's a promise for all of us to earnestly seek God and his vision, to empower one another to relationships outside of our comfort zone, to be on simply doing what is right, and to take a step beyond like Joseph, to be prepared to do what God asks us, to put ourselves on the line for the righteousness that is not about being right or following the law, but is about following God's path for us. For the benefit of those you don't even know in this room, in this community, in this world. See, God's way of the incarnation sets a new standard for what is right. God's way of the incarnation sets a new standard for what is right, for the benefit of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is then, it is in that moment that our true best is found. When our true purpose is revealed. When we dream about what God dreams about for us and for our community, for our church.
the transformation in the lives of the people. It is for that reason that Jesus comes to transform us all, to show us a way that is not based on what we can do and can't do, but simply on following him. How incredible is that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God of the universe, creator and maker of all things, bringer of life, Emmanuel, God with us. We are left today with an internal struggle of how to actually follow you. And Lord, maybe there are things that you've brought up in this time that you know we need to release or to change or to shift relationships we need to renew Apologies that we need to make. Ways of doing things that feed our brokenness rather than your glory. And Father God, will you show us those ways this week? Will you help to humble us? Will you quiet our lives so that we can take the moment to listen to what it is that you would have? To the ways that you are calling Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Will you appear to us as you did to Joseph and as you spoke through Isaiah? May we be filled with the promise of Emmanuel, of the righteousness of the incarnation, of you coming to be with us. In your name, amen.